thing is, this is a, another thing people say, oh, limb fishing is not fly fishing, but my style of fishing over other people's style, like as you said, some people love it, where my background is fly casting. So my system is set up that I can fly cast my nymphs and deliver them precisely where I want them. And I probably outfish most people because I can do that. Hello and welcome to the Ireland on the Fly podcast about the people and places of fly fishing in Ireland. For this week's episode, we're joined by Eamon Conway, a well-known angler from Dundalk, who in 2016 took the leap and decided to set up his own fly fishing company called Tawn Fly Fishing. Its range includes fly rods, reels, lines and leaders, and Eamon talks to us about the challenges of setting up and running a fly fishing company and why he wants Tawn to be the Tato of fly fishing in Ireland. But first time you were involved in the tackle trade for years, it's a tough market to break into. It is very much so. It's, I mean, it's, um, it's go so far to say it's a crowded market, but the, it's a market that's, you know, there's a, there's a lot out there. So, so to break in and, uh, and to stick in the, the rob market, uh, is a great thing to do. And, you know, fair play to Eamon, he's done that. And as we talk about it, he's gone in and he's gone in with his own type of products and rods for, for certain, uh, you know, for your, 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 your nymphing predator and your lock style and uh, yeah he's, he's doing really well with it so yeah that said it is it's a tough one to break into but fair play to him he's gone and done it and what i love actually is you know he talks about his fly fishing career you know he says from the age of 12 just obsessed with fly fishing um you know was involved in the competitions and still is was champion won competitions and in classic kind of business sense said there's no rods out there that you know i think you know are needed so I'm going to do something about it. You know, I love that. It's just kind of like, well, there's nothing, you know, attracting me. So I'm just going to get my own. And uh, so fair play. Like, I think it's uh, it's it's great to be able to do that and to kind of get the bit between the teeth and say, right, I'm going to do something. Yeah, it really is. And, it, you know, I think the word there is passion, isn't it? You know? Yeah. De- definitely, to, you know, to, 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 to go along. And funny, he's, and he discusses that as well. I mean, not from a business background, and talked about his, you know, his first foray into marketing and everything. Now he felt afterwards, but you know, it's like anything, you know, you, you learn and you learn quick. He says, "What did he say with the competitions as well?" He says, "When you don't learn, you you'll be last. You're, la- you're last. <laughs> you know, and it's yeah. you know, same with business. You know, what was it like for you, you though, actually, Tom? Because you were you were in the tackle trade. Is it's it's a like it's a competitive game. It's business. It's Doggy dog, isn't it? It's a, it, it's a far cry from casting the line on the water with the sun setting. Like uh, people used to say to me, "God, you have a great job." No, it's good, and you know, I was in an industry that I love. But like you know, I got I got the emails. You know, at the end of the day, I was a salesman. You know, you put it up. I was territorial sales manager or whatever. I was a salesman. Um, you know, I got the emails. You know, Tom. Uh, you know, with 60 percent of the month gone, you're currently lying at forty four percent of your monthly target. With seven working days left of the month, how do you plan on you know getting this situation right? I will be in touch with you by phone this afternoon to discuss what your plans are. Oh my god! So it was like literally like <laughs> yeah, that, like you know, you know, the tackle trade. It's it's a business. It's competitive. It's targets. It's not this. You know glamorous life of fishing and talking about fishing and meeting fishing people that's uh, a whole other side to it as as Eamon attests to it as well you know know, I mean if you don't I mean for example if you're a company and you're not making a profit you don't survive well you don't survive for that long you know you can you know put up with it for so long but you know at the end of the day if you're continually not make continuously not making money then you you know you fold 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, I remember when we were taken over by uh, an American company, and um, global turnover was four hundred million. I think it was eight thousand employees worldwide. And prior to the takeover, we were the CFO was coming over to Game Fair in England to just to check on everything. The CFO, Chief Financial Officer of all the you know the four hundred million dollar turnover company. And we were introduced to him. And so he said, and this is Tom from Ireland. And he shook my hand and he looked at me. And he goes, you're the guy with the big mileage. Nice to meet you too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll get my coat then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, just, you know, that's, that's the level he'd gone through the figures of the company that they were buying. That they checked. There was a few reps at the time. They checked everything. And of course it was big mileage and probably in relation to turnover. Did you point out to him what the roads are like around but the west of Ireland? Did you see that didn't matter? All that mattered was the bottom figure. And it's, uh, so, I'm sorry, another uh, tangent here, which you'll hear about shortly, this other podcast I'm doing, the Salmon one. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's Which is really interesting, actually. Sounds really we'll, we'll interesting. We'll talk about yeah. that in a few weeks. But we interviewed, one of the episodes we interviewed, Yvonne Schoenart, the founder of Patagonia, the billionaire who gave, a, gave the company away, mm. the profits away for... Uh, saving the amazing, planet amazing blow oh absolutely amazing now obviously you know profit and loss had to be mm. an important part of it but he always talks about you know doing things differently and you know not just being about they never they never had shareholders because he says there's no such thing as continual growth and this is whole thing about the planet there's no such thing as continual growth mm. You know, and that's why he was saying, you know, at least when it was in private hands, they didn't have to be answering to shareholders looking for, you know, yeah. the bottom line all the yeah. time. But by doing things differently, and he tells the story during the, re- the recession kicked in and uh, in 2008, and most companies say they would have been doing like high end stuff or recyclable stuff. You know, they stopped doing that because of the price. They said, you know, it's the recession. People mm. aren't going to pay for stuff. And he met this guy a few years later, the company, and they said, yeah, our sales are, you know, we stopped doing this and our sales are still down 30% because of the recession. And they said to, your, to Yvonne from Patagonia, who kept doing what they were doing, it was about, they kept their prices. Yeah, yeah. But it was still high quality. And he said, our sales went up 30%. Wow. <laughs> so they were just, you know, you know, the, the accountants might be able to parse the figures and run the numbers, but at the same time, Sometimes actually That's you need really just a bit of... That's really interesting, isn't it, Jim? Yeah. Yeah. You know, to, you know, a bit of good instinct and a bit of balls to say, no, this is what we're doing and this is why it's right. So Going completely against the wisdom of the accountants. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah. and but yeah, okay, you have to take a fine line with that. And, you know, but um, what I love, the other story Yvonne told was um, when he's asked to talk to business schools and he tells them, set up your own business because he says, at least then you can create your own rules to follow by because... If you're working wow. for somebody else, you have you have to follow, follow somebody else's rules, mm. and that's why he set up Patagonia so he could follow set his, his own, own rules. <laughs> wow, very interesting. Sounds like he really does sound like a really interesting bloke. But um, staying with business and fly fishing business and the fly fishing tackle trade, let's hear from this week's guest, Eamon Conway from Tawn Fly Fishing. And I first asked Eamon about where his love of fly fishing first came about. Well, for me, it was starting with worms, and then I was sort of you know yourself as a child. You just go out an odd time. But then something clicked with me that I remember seeing it, um, the Trenton Salmon magazine and all these people with fish, you know, in their hands. And I'm going, I don't get many fish, but, you know, these guys are getting loads of them and all they seem to have is fly rods. So I want to get a fly rod, you know. 
and that's where I took the interest from. Eventually, 12th birthday, I uh, lo- went up to the local tackle shop and got myself a fly rod. It was a Shakespeare Europa fly rod. From what I can recall, it was a, I think it was a nine foot, seven, eight. It was like, like it was heavy. <laughs> you can only imagine. I wouldn't, I wouldn't give it to a child now, but that's <laughs> what was available back then, you know. Um, I remember, yeah, it was just, I still have it. It's just amazing to think what I started with. You know, and well, you're you're obviously mad keen as a kid, like right? Yeah, and I can't figure out why I was so obsessed, but just absolutely obsessed with fly fishing. Is there anybody in the family then aiming that like fish, fly fish? My father doesn't fish at all. He probably would have as as a young fella, but you're you're probably laughing when I tell you this. But my two uncles were draft net fishermen for salmon on the Castleton Estuary, so. You know, it's it's crazy. I went one way, you know, and they were gone the other. But, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's crazy. I don't know. It's just fanatical about fly fishing. I don't know what it is. That's the second connection. Remember Mike O'Shea down in... Uh, That's right, actually, yeah. Because yeah. his background was from the draft nets fishermen as well. So you're not alone, Eamon. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? But, like, you know, there's something there. There's something there that just, I, I don't know, it's hard to explain. But just fly fishing got a grip of me in, in a extraordinary way you know draft net fishermen side of things um did you any stories memories of your uncles in terms of that well, side I'll of things? You, i actually believe it or not hey I, I actually went with them a few times just to see what it's all about and it, it's it's amazing that and you know people think oh yeah they're catching loads of salmon D- they weren't they might have <laughs> years and years ago but when i was sort of you know seeing what they're at they weren't getting much like and where was the estuary it would have been the Castletown um, estuary there. But so you see, well, we've Castletown and the Fane um, mm. emptying into Dundalk Bay. So they would have fished the, the, the two estuaries, you know. Can I ask you then, Eamon, and I've always asked this to Nets fishermen, when they were drawing the net, were you getting that same anticipation, that same feeling? Oh, my God, I hope there's going to be something there. Is yeah, there you, there? you do. Yeah, <laughs> you, you would, you know, like it's just yeah. crazy. It's, it's <laughs> yeah, as you say, the anticipation of, hoping something's going to get caught yeah how big were those nets and how did it work essentially you see what they do is they did have a, a man standing on the bank of the river and then what they would do is um they would row out obviously let the, the net go out the back of the boat and um then what they do is they'd have to make a loop and then haul it to the shore and then they'd, they'd pull it and whatever was in it you know was in it yeah and like you're saying like it's not like they were hauling in you know massive catches no 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 like that was towards the end of it like i i often heard stories of them catching 30s and 40s but like way before but that was back then they were they're sort of they were feeding their family at that stage you know did any of the draft nestmen um fish for pleasure then (laughs) at all well, I give you a laugh. One of my uncles did actually go and rod fish. So when when he when he wasn't draft netting during during the season of of draft netting season, he'd be away stocky bashing. You know, so it's it's funny. <laughs> yeah. like. Maybe just bring us back then, Eamon. So you got obsessed with the fly fishing. Yeah. You were was it brown trout, sea trout, up yeah, Dundalk? Brown trout, were... Yeah. So the club I'm I'm a member of. Um, I've been a member of since I was six. I think nineteen ninety one. Um, yeah, brown trout anglers on the Castletown River and the Fane River. And that's that's all I fished for um, when I was younger. And then sort of as I got older, I branched out to fly fishing for pike. I, I, at one stage, I was a, a spade junkie. I remember traveling to the, the River Morn, you know, fly casting for, for salmon, you know, with the two-hander. Like, I've just fished sort of in every way possible, you know. 
I suppose up with that part of the country where you are, Eamon, um, you have so much brilliant fishing. Oh, man, the, uh, close the variety we have, like an hour from my house in any direction, you would have so much variety. It's unbelievable. You know, yeah, like, you really do up there. There's a, a lot to pick and choose from, uh, you know, between your saltwater stuff, your brown trout stuff, your sea trout rivers, your pike, uh, yeah, your pike crazy. fishing. Yeah, it's brilliant. And then, as you say as well, not too far away, you could get into your your spay junkieing. That's it, you know, because <laughs> like the, the river Boyne's only like Slane's what twenty five minutes from my house. You could All fish. Right, yeah, yeah, it's, it's just crazy. It really is. It's an angler's paradise when you think about it. It really mm. is, you know. And yet you wouldn't get many visiting anglers. Not really. Like, That's what I don't get. Everybody seems to travel to the west of Ireland, where the east. Coast. I know. I'm always going on about this, aim and they're all about. No, the no, lads. No, no, lads. Not me along. No, there's no reason to be. <laughs> no, but I have to say, I I love the west as well. I, I tell you, I used to travel. <clears throat> excuse me, to cross Malina every year religiously for the Con and Cullen competition. It was just, mm. I, I was obsessed. You know, it was crazy. But saying that, a lot of Dunlock anglers did travel west. And there's, there is, there's something about it. It's just magnificent, you know. Give us some of the favorite places you like to fly fish in Ireland, then, Eamon. Where is kind of, or do, or is it closer to home? You that stands out and for you. T- for me, I think I went through a stage of discovery, as in, you know, I would just pick a point on the map and just go there and and fish it and see what it was like. And and some days you'd have, you, like, there's streams in, in County Monaghan there. You jump across them and you wouldn't believe it, but they're striking them. You know, it's just. It's, it's crazy, and that's what I used to love doing. I used to just pick a wee river or a lake on a map and go and fish it and see what I could get. And it was that adventure and kind of fishing that I enjoy. You know, I wouldn't have one particular place that I would um, say I love. Although there is one spot in the Fane, it's called Number One. That's probably my favourite spot on the Fane. But, you know, in, in terms of places, we there are just so many. It's hard that sounds to so up, brilliant, Amy, what you're saying. Like, let's say, you know, randomly, you say somewhere in Monaghan, where you pick a stream. And you don't really know what it's like, and you go there, and you catch a trout, or a couple of trout, or good trout. That that's a really, I really get the sense of adventure with that, and yeah. I really get the sense of fulfillment you'd have if oh, it comes good. Amazing, and even the fulfillment and achievement alone, like it's like you know, I, I, that doesn't matter if the fish is only six inches, trout's only six mm, inches, yeah, yeah. you know, or six pound. Um, I, I just love it. Like that's what I'm saying that. I wouldn't just pick any river. Obviously, it would have to be attached to some sort of system that would have trout in it. You know, like it, for an example, there's a um, it's a part of the Annalise system, but this is well, well up it. It's in County Monaghan. It's part of the Shantana system, and it's only a shuck. And there's like a pipe that comes out underneath the road, and it, the, the water's flowing in. And I was just chucking nymphs in the where the, the water's coming out of the pipe, and I'm pulling trout out of them. Like this is just <laughs> it's magic, you know. Class. Yeah. I remember actually when I um, first started getting into fly fishing, I bought Peter O'Reilly's books as ah, the Bibles, you yeah, know, fly yeah. fishing in Ireland, yeah. which is, oh, and I still to this day keep it beside my bedside and, and dip in and out. But then I got the Rivers of Ireland book. And similar to that, I haven't done it now, but I would love, to, I'd, you'd pick any page at random and you'd find whatever river, whatever county. And you could just almost picture it, you know, as Peter would yeah. describe it to you. And like the incredible thing about that book was like just you could literally just from that book go anywhere in the country. Yeah. Find out where to get, you know, license, permit, whatever, and head off fishing. Like it's a it's an invaluable, valuable guide, isn't it? And right. and likewise with me on the lakes of Ireland by Peter O'Reilly. Yes. I mean, I I mean the western section alone, I've marked every lake that I've fished in. 
Like, cause he, no oh yeah, I seriously. I mean, when I got my first car, but like, well, you, this is why I'm, I'm with you about going to Monaghan. When I got my first car back in the mid nineties, uh, three piece rod chucked in the boot off to the hill lakes. And they weren't necessarily up the hill with the bogs, the Connemara and everything. Check, yeah. check the entry in O'Reilly's book, pick it off and go and fish it. Brilliant. Yeah, well, it's it's amazing. Like it, that, it's just that's what I love about the, the adventure part of it. There's so much to Ireland, you know, fishing wise. It's it's unbelievable. Like you know, and what I, the, the map I used to work off Ordnance Survey maps, so they they were very accurate. Oh, yeah, yeah. You, you know what I mean? Like I had I had the sheet thirty six, which is loud. Sheet thirty five, which was sort of Cavan Monaghan, twenty eight A and B, and I had them all solid taped together on the wall, and I'd be looking, going right, where am I going next week? You know. <laughs> Can I ask you actually, uh, Tom and Eamon on this? Um, like, obviously, if you're a salmon angler, you know you 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 generally venture further afield. You know, in terms of you know time of the year, the the, the salmon run, wherever river conditions. You know, it's much more kind of maybe more condition specific. And I can understand that in the sense of you're likely to go to different places for salmon fishing. What about for brown trout anglers in the main? Like, I know you were saying like you would go off on the adventures, but Correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of brown trout, brown trout anglers, you'll kind of stick to your local river because that's where you can and you can get loads of fish and you know oh, your river. Yeah. Are you less likely to go further afield or be more adventurous if you're a brown trout angler? I, th- I think it's a personal kind of thing. Like for me, I, I sort of got lazy after a while and I, I wouldn't sort of travel any further than an hour because I didn't have to, you know, and I did I have to say I got very, very lazy. But other people are different, you know what I mean? Some people wouldn't, t- like, there's guys I know in, in um, my local club there, and they travel to Donegal to fish the Rosses every so often. And I'm like, geez, I don't think I'd travel um, three hours to go to the Rosses. But now, saying that, I did travel with them there last September, and my goodness, it was worth it. It was yeah. worth a drive, you know? Yeah, it's it's funny. People change that. Just back to that, nobody can see it. Ah, I see it. <laughs> right. <laughs> For those who How many have you got there, Tom? I think I've about I've about forty. I've so just I've, Tom is showing us a all box, the west of the you know, box full of those maps. Yeah. I, I tell you, I yeah. thought I was bad. That's that's I tell you <laughs> that's, what, that's unreal. <laughs> yeah, seriously, I went completely in, and then when I you know I cross reference it on O'Reilly's book. And I check and I work out how to get into it. And everything. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So but once you sent the maps to me there, I said, "Ah, oh. <laughs> I tell you, once I tell you, um, Google Earth is brilliant because yeah, you yeah. can put your man, you can put the wee guy on the bridge and look up and down. If it looks okay, <laughs> that's where we. <laughs> you know, it's a great tool for fishermen. Yeah, it is actually. But I mean, it's funny. But back to what you were saying, then you see, it's sometimes I think we all go through that spirit of adventure. And like, mm. I find myself now, and a bit like what you said there, Eamon, get a bit lazy now. Do you know what? You're not handy or just, yeah. to, I know it's, you know, I've become used to it. So yeah, I'm well, see, the thing for me as well, you know? um, with kids and stuff like that there, you know, if I'm dropping the, the kids off to school or whatever at nine o'clock, you know, I have to be back for like two. So for me, if I, the, the river I'd go to, either be the Fane um, or the Flurry River. The Flurry River is like literally five minutes from my house and it's a small mountain stream and the trout are only about six inches in it. But it gets me out for me a few hours, you know, I get back for the kids, the whole lot, and you wouldn't think I was fishing at all, you know. Funny that I wonder, is it kind of like when you're in your 20s, you have your car, you have a bit more freedom, the family mm. hasn't started. That's kind of the ideal kind yeah. of decade where you can kind of go off exploring. Like, oh, that's it. Like, you know, it, it's, 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 um, 
it's amazing I suppose when you're younger that the freedom you have to just do whatever you want and fish wherever you want and you know like even like when I was younger I, I traveled to the likes of um British Columbia there with the guys it was a group of guys from town over to um Chilliwack we were fishing for sturgeon and salmon and all so like I don't know those I suppose adventures I'd like to do a few more now but um but yeah love to you have to wait about 10, 15 years. That's it, yeah, uh, wait kids a bit more, you know. <laughs> yeah, a bit of that. Yeah. <laughs> and them off. Yeah. I get the sense, actually, every time, uh, and again, talking to Mick and yourself there, Eamon, is there's a very strong uh, club scene. Yeah. Brown Dundalk. Oh, man, for a long time, we had a really, really strong club, yeah. You know, the Brown Trout Anglers, uh, Doc would have known them, like, uh, I suppose, through Taffy and all that kind of stuff, competition mm. scene and things like that there. It was just phenomenal, like, you know. Yeah, I remember I was saying that to you, uh, I think the first time I would have met Eamon was back at a, 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 a Utes All-Ireland, and this was back in the noughties. Um, and I was really impressed going up there, uh, the work that the your club, the Dundalk Anglers, had put into the running the event, in which everything went like clockwork, But and all the volunteers you'd out. Yes, uh, some you great know, guys. It was just you know. really good. I was really impressed. You know, really impressed. Great club, great club spirit. Yeah, it was it was a phenomenal like the, the club. It is a great club, I have to say now, you know. And the river itself for brown trout fishing is just it's 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 crazy. Have you ever fished there, Tom, yourself up that way? No, I went up because uh, uh, the Connacht Youth team at the time I went up to it, and I remember looking at the river, but I couldn't fish. <laughs> uh, couldn't fish. So I was um, uh, just a steward on the day, and it was a lovely river. It was to its bones that day. I was saying that to Eamon. It yeah. really was. It was very. But and this was the beautiful thing about it. Still. Um, Still a lot of fish caught. Uh, caught was, was catch released with stewards, and um, uh, it just you know it gave a it gave a good result. You know, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, a great result. result. Like in twenty thirteen, we had the All Ireland on it there. Um, for thirty six anglers, there was over nine hundred trout caught and released in one day. So mm. it give you an idea. Um, what's the club like nowadays? Um, is it struggling for new members? The next generation, yeah, we hear a lot about that in terms yeah, of the younger sort of, generation. It's looking at the numbers there at the AGM the other night, and it, it does like it was the lowest numbers I ever seen. Usually, there's always over three hundred. This time, there's only like one hundred and fifty or sixty. You know, right? So I'm not too sure. I don't know if it's a generational thing. People are giving up, or and obviously kids aren't coming into it, so it's hard to know. Well, myself and Tom have always spoken about it in terms of an. I'm a firm believer. I think. I think back in the day, maybe clubs didn't have to do as much to attract the members because, you know, people had less distractions, less things, oh, yeah. less choice, shall we say. Whereas now, I think, I firmly believe for clubs to grow uh, into the future, they need to be doing more, need to be more proactive yeah, about think, reaching out. I think that sports are nearly competing amongst one another. Like, yeah. you know, like mm. in my area there on a Saturday morning, you drive past the football pitch and it's just full of people. Do you know what I mean? Parents and kids and all that kind of stuff. And it, you know, where I don't know what the fishing end of things like. I suppose the people were different back then. Like, we used to cycle out fishing on the bikes I and stuff. Just, like that. I was just going to say that, Eamon. You see, everything is structured and organized. Yeah. And you know, as parents, like, if you know, if you have kids, you leave yeah. them and it's from 10 o'clock till 11 o'clock on a Saturday morning and that's it. And everything is structured. And it's not just, uh, you know, football, it's things like mountain biking, kayaking, whatever. It's groups and clubs and there's, um, designated instructors and everything is done you know above board whereas as what you said there i mean like you know this idea of us nipping off and cycling off now i mean many parents would let their kids do now what we used to do is as youngsters cycling off you know it's it's yeah. not it's not as easily done so 
and, and what, it's what Dara says there is the onus is on the clubs now to get these structures in place uh, within the clubs and within angling groups so it can make it easy and more accommodating for youngsters to find out about fishing at the golf. Yeah, like when we, when we were younger, like there was a group of us and we all hung around together and like if we were bored in the summertime, right lads, sure, look, we'll go fishing, jump in the bikes, to be five or six yeah. of us. Once yeah. there was a group of us, we, we were sort of deemed safe enough, do you know what I mean? <laughs> and um, that yeah, was it. We all went fishing. There wasn't really much fishing done, but we went anyway, do you know? And then we come back, but I think that the fishermen sort of done the fishing and, and the people who are sort of just there for the crack, you know, they obviously there for the crack and the, the people who are there... They don't fish anymore. We're we're sort of still fishing, you know. Yeah. People, you know. Yeah, and that, but I I do think just um on that I, I agree. It's it's easy to kind of cry foul and to cry oh that there's no numbers coming fishing. Well, unless you actually start to do something about it, you know what I mean. Unless like, well, what are you doing about it as a club or as individuals or as members to try and because that's the way it's gotten now. Yeah, you it just seems to. to be if you're a family member of someone who fishes, you sort of just go fishing yeah. kind of, and that's really it. Mm, that's yeah, I see. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, listen, back to your own fishing then, Eamon. So you're exploring the country with a fly rod in hand, suitably obsessed. Uh, Your parents are worried about you, your future life. (laughs) (laughs) Where where are you going to end up? What's going to happen to you? Uh, At what stage then did you decide to set up your own fly fishing business? Um, It was back in 2016. To be honest, I was sort of always in the fly, or sorry, not the fly industry, but the fishing industry. Like I got a job in a tackle shop in Dundalk. Um, It was Island Fishing Tackle. It was owned by a guy called Pat Wherley. And I I worked for him for a few years. Um, When I was 17, I joined the army. So I sort of, I was always, I I worked for him all the time because he was sick before he died. And the wife asked me to run the shop. So I'd, I'd sort of do that there. Um, for her and then in t- 2006 I became a member of App Guy Ireland so I was sort of doing a bit of fly coaching or fly casting coaching stuff like that there and I remember going to Canada and we hired the guides and all this and I was sort of saying to myself do you know what I could I could do this no problem you know so I came back and I sort of set up a website Um, this was actually prior to 2006 it was sort of I just had it for guiding really you know and then um, twenty around twenty sixteen, I sort of decided, you know what? I'd love to just have my own sort of brand of fishing rods, and that's when I set it up. So take us through the difficulties of that in terms of when one want, when one wants to set up one's own fly rod, <laughs> what does one do? Like, how does do you ring up a factory in China? How does how does oh, well, this work? Like? The, the beauty about the internet is, you know, the availability of suppliers has, has got mm. easier. You know what I mean? So it's a lot of to and fro and back and forth and sort of design and trying to figure out what you want and how it looks and all this kind of stuff, you know. And um, once you, you come up with a final product, then you run with it. And what's been the biggest challenge for you, do you think? Is it trying to, because it's obviously quite a crowded market. Yeah. So what's the differentiator for you with, uh, how do you make tawn fly fishing stand out? To be honest, for me, it was very hard because I'm not a businessman or I, I, I haven't the first thing about business. So, for me, at the early stages, I was just learning, you know what I mean? Hadn't a clue. The first show I went to, and um, I never really sort of said much about it, but the first show I went to, the Gold of Fly Fair, I spent loads of money getting there, you know, paying for the stand, all this kind of stuff. And I sold one rod for the weekend. And I'm like, 
what just happened? What am I doing? I was completely out of my depth, hadn't a clue what I was doing. And that was a reality check. And what do you think the problem was or the difficulty was? I just didn't know what I was doing. I was in deep water, hadn't a clue. You jumped in at the deep end. Yeah. Yeah, you did, really. Yeah, I'm really, as you know, like I was involved with them tackle trade for years, particularly on rods. And like, I know uh, it's, um, it, it was something huge for you to do. Amen. But fair play to you, you did it. I think I remember saying it was like, I mean, it was something that you wanted. You saw what you wanted in rods. Yeah, exactly. And they weren't, had they weren't out there. I remember you saying that. And um, yeah, then you said, well, this is what I'm going to do about it. A fair play to you did. But to be honest, yeah, and I'd say this to you as well, I know you only sold one rod at that first show, but do you think, did lads come back to you after that? Say, yes. Hey, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Did, and did this, that make it, you feel a wee bit better? Did, yeah, yeah. Because you get the guys after the show, you know what? They'd be emailing yeah. you saying, Yeah, I met you at the show. You know, yeah. I'd like to get one of your rods. I'm like, You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's what I'm saying. So, like, if I was if I was as good at selling as I am at fly fishing, I'd probably be like Sage or Scott, but I'm not there yet. So, do you know, mm-hmm. if I was really good at sales, do you think I'd actually be just stuck in a fishing tackle company? Yeah, <laughs> you know, because you could make absolute, you could make a fortune elsewhere if you're really good at sales. But yeah, then, yeah, exactly. It's the love, it's the love of angling. Yeah, I think it, you where you are. You know exactly. It's sort of been part of the scene, kind of. You know. Yeah. Tom said there, like you were saying about you wanted to do rods that you felt weren't in the market. What What were they? What was it that you saw the gap in the market? It was sort of. I just wanted to have an Irish kind of brand of, of fly fishing rods, so I started out with like lake rods and then river rods you know and that, that was really it and i i sort of broke into it with the urinymph and rods so we, i'm more or less specializing those now over the other rods okay so that'd be your kind of your standout brand i suppose is the urinymphing side exactly, of it, is it yeah yeah so what kind of rods are you talking about like kind of two-way three-way yeah it 10 so foot? 10 foot two weights 11 foot two weights that kind of thing and, and then obviously varied in prices and, and stuff like that features things like that you know What's your most popular model? Is it the ten foot or the eleven foot? Ten foot. Ten foot seems to be the the one everybody sort of reaches for, you know. And have you built up like a loyal kind of customer base over the years yeah, now, and that people. regulars come back? You would, yeah. You'd get people, you know, coming back all the time. But it's funny, like it's 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 crazy with the internet. Like, you, you, I've sent rods as far as Japan, you know. Like, it's I never seen the likes of it. But I suppose, like you said, you can know all about fly fishing or what you want to do with the fly fish inside of it. But there's the whole sales, marketing. Oh, that's it, yeah. There's mm, the whole yeah. other, you know, you can have the best gear in the world, but if nobody knows about it or nobody buys exactly. into and what it, you're it's doing. It's funny, like, because I give you a laugh. When it, The year I started it up, I actually won the All-Ireland. I actually, well, I, I won the, yeah, the yeah. Taffy All-Ireland and the ITFFA All-Ireland. And I was sort of saying to myself, this couldn't have happened at a better time, yeah. you know. But people, I, I was going to shows after that and people are like, um, like who are you? I thought I, I thought because I won these competitions, everybody's going to know me. But it's not the it's not you know it. That's not how it works. Like, yeah, it's it's the general punter, isn't it? Like as opposed to the competition scene that you're trying to sell to. Like. Yeah, like it's 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 mad. Like it it's just it's like business is crazy. Like and that's what I'm saying. I'm still learning, but and I I don't just specify or um I suppose deal with rods. I'm sort of obviously have the guiding and. And stuff like that there, intuition as well, you know. So it's uh, trying to be as diverse as I can, you know. 
Yeah, and is that kind of, I was going to ask you, like, what's your kind of future plans? Do you, are you going to focus in on one area or is it a case of you kind of have to jack of all trades nearly? Well, it's a, I suppose jack of all trades, um, but the, the, the plan is, is to grow. I was sort of trying to, to describe it to somebody. I'd like, what Tato is to Irish people for Chris, but I'd like to be the, the equivalent in fly fishing, you know? So you're going to have a team park with uh, roller coasters. <laughs> well, I tell you, uh, you never know. You never know. <laughs> Something new. <laughs> But that that's sort of you know mightn't happen this year or next year, but like um, that's what that's you're going. going. How broad is the range of rods that you're doing? I suppose I've predator rods there, mm. um, lake you rods, lake rods, um, dry fly rods, and nymphin rods, and nymphin rods. Wow, yeah. Wow. But I, how do you do? How do you do it? on then is it? Do you get the blanks to your specification? How how are you going? Let's say you let's say you want to bring out a new nymph, your nymphin rod. How do you go about it? Do you actually, is it requirements that you say that you wanted a blank and everything? Yeah, exactly. And then they'd, they'd, yeah. send you, they'd send you a blank and you sort of just um, see what it's like, you know. See yeah. how and then you can go back with them and say, look, not too gone on that. I need more through action or whatever. Or yeah. something like that. Yeah. And and then once I, I'm happy with a rod, then yeah, go with that. And you go, ah, oh, that's brilliant. So once you're happy with it, then you can go with it and then exactly. you can launch it then. Exactly. And what I've done in, in more recent times there, I started building my own rods, as in building them personally myself, because sometimes when you're dealing with manufacturers, they're, you know, they're not exactly, sometimes you mightn't get a rod exactly the way you want it, where I can, when I'm building a rod, I can build it the way I want it or whatever way the customer wants it, you know, which is good. Oh, brilliant. I, I didn't know actually that you were building them yourself. Now, that's excellent. Yeah, excellent. yeah. yeah. And, and it's sort of the higher price range I build them. So do you do um, bespoke then kind of? Or yeah, is it somebody yeah. says, I want a 11 foot, 9 inch Well, if, one I, if, I, can get the, <laughs> if I can get the blank to match what you're looking for, I could, I could probably build it. Or if somebody comes to me with a blank, I can, yeah, throw it together, no problem. So in terms of just from the fly fishing side of things, I mean, um, I know, you, like you said, you do guiding, um, you do uh, courses as well. From the public's pers- um, appetite that you see for people that come to you, is it nymphing is what people yeah. are kind of most interested in? Or? Yeah, it's, it's sort of, it's, it's, people are inquisitive about it, you know what I mean? They want to see what it's all about because, you know, for a long time, people would have been wet fly, dry fly, you know, and... Um, I, t- I tell you, I was guilty of it myself of not wa- wanting to, I, I was sort of adamant, no, I'm not trying that there because it's not fly fishing. I was one of those people until I sort of changed the way I thought, because when I wanted to start competing, yeah, in order to get mm. better, you need to do these things. So I get in, into the nymphing in a big, big way. The thing is, this is a, another thing people say, oh, nymph fishing is not fly fishing, but my style of fishing over other people's style, like as you said, some people love it where my background is fly casting. Um, so my system is set up that I can fly cast my nymphs and deliver them precisely where mm. I want them. And I'll probably outfish most people because I can do that. Because like if your setup is wrong, like say you have these guys and I probably get, you know, a bit of backlash from this, but you know, the whole big thing, oh, you need level leaders, all this kind of stuff. Everybody's different, but that's not how I do my things. I'm a firm believer, you know, if your line is tapered to hold it down to your fly, you'll have pure precision, you know, where if you have a level leader and your nymphs are on, your nymphs are sort of in control of 
everything. You can they're, they're bouncing around in the air where my line will control where the nymphs go, and that's the difference. So it takes somebody else three or four casts to put their fly, you know, into a six-inch piece of water. I'll probably get it into in probably first cast if not the second yeah yeah and when you're are you targeting the pockets the riffly water what what kind of where do you target i i have a sort of system i'm trying to get the secrets out of you in case you hadn't noticed that i know it's not that it's secrets it depends on the water type if it's pockety you know you're you're pickpocketing you're you're targeting those areas but if there's a big flat and you can't see any features well you're going to have to go into like a systematic process of of fishing the water so you start in a near bank, you work away, your way across, you know, until you find the fish, you know, and then if you don't catch it a few steps up, repeat the process going across until you find your fish, you, you know. And with this, with this process that you're using, Eamon, would you aerialize watch fly line? Would you be using fly line as opposed to, let's say, just uh, in other ways of you're in a thing where there is actually no fly line outside the rod? I it depends on the distance. Yeah, if the river's small, it'd probably be little to none because the 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 length of your rod and your leader, yeah, you have enough reach there. You probably you you'll cross, especially likes yeah. of in. You don't need much. But if you're fishing the likes of the Nore, big big river, um, I seen myself like throwing probably thirty feet of fly line with my urine infant leader, throw it well up, keep the rod high, and just bring it back to or take the line in like you're dry fly fishing. Dry fly uh, fishing. And bite detection, what do you use for that then? Just, I use the bite color indicator. That, that's what you're using, bite color indicator. Yeah, or sometimes. Any deviation on that at all that you're hitting? Is it? If it, yeah, if it stops, if the line stops or shoots, you know yourself, just, yeah, you don't need to strike hard because most of the time they tr- hook themselves anyway. Is the nymphing what you'd use nine times out of ten when you come to the river, like, or within? Yes, well, I tell you, see, this is the funny thing. My system allows me to fish nymphs and dry, so as, you know, um, I can cast a single dry or single nymph, you know, no problem with my system, you know, um, and I get the best of both worlds. So I'm not carrying two rods up the river. I see that because if you're using that tapered leader, uh, uh, it's going to be perfect presentation for you. Exactly. Dry That's exactly you it. it. Uh, and the fact you're having a bite indicator is going to make absolutely diddly squat. To your dry no, because if you're if you're precise, matter. if you're yeah. precise, if you can put the dry fly in the fish's nose, he's not interested in your bite indicator. He's not going to see it. He's not going to see it. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, it's very interesting, actually. It's nice to see uh, to see that method. You know, it's a, it's a different style of thinking. It's a different style of of uh, different approach, I should say. And obviously works in. Oh, man, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's unbelievable. Like, you know, it's it's but as I say, everybody's different. But like, yeah, the first time like the first time I ever nymphed was with a level line and I was sort of trying to control it and it wasn't working for me, you know. And when I, I was actually over in America at the, the America Cup in 2008 um, and I seen this Polish guy doing it and I'm like, this is unbelievable. He's flat out catching fish. I was I was merely wet fly and dry, dry fly fishing and dry dropper, you know. And then once I seen him do it, I goes, I got to I got to try this. So back home to Ireland, I just as much as September left trying this level leader system. I was catching fish, but I couldn't get the accuracy I, I, I required. And that's when I started working with tapered leaders. Like there's, I, I, I have a YouTube channel there as well. And on one of the videos I done, I was using shock leader for sea fishing. I'm not sure if you ever seen shock leaders. Yeah, but yeah, I know. Big, yeah. 
tapered leader. They're very aggressive, but my goodness, you can do anything with them. They're they're like it. They're phenomenal. They're as good as a fly line, only for the monofilament. They're they're, oh, they're brilliant. Um, what's the kind of for people that you guide or that you give lessons to or give courses to? What's the kind of biggest mistakes you see people making? You know, just for them to be aware of in terms of correcting. I suppose their their leader setups, things like that, there and then, and weight differences, you know, um, and and they're using the, the wrong weight, like they could be too heavy, you know, and they're catching the bottom all the time, you know. And then some people come to just want sort of validation to see that they're make sure they're doing everything okay. They're not making mm. really any mistakes, you know. Yeah, that's true. I think validation sometimes is really important, Emma, because with that, uh, another word I'd use is confidence. Yeah, you know, with you know because. As you say, guys can be doing the right thing, but sometimes they're not completely confident in it. Yeah, and they don't. And on account of that, they're not doing if they're not sure if they're doing it right. And as you say, once you can see them and let them know, yeah, you're doing everything perfect. Stick at it, and then suddenly everything changes, and they start getting a bit more success. Yeah, that's it. Like I, some guys there for, and you just hand them one of your leaders. Try that there. See what you think. And they're like, "This is night and day." You know, something as simple as a leader. You know, it's crazy. Do you actually have those? Do you sell those leaders? By the way. I do, yeah, they're on my website. Yeah, it's just tonflyfishing.com or www.tonflyfishing.com. It's funny, actually, Tom, I I know my biggest mistake, it's just pure laziness, whether it's not changing the fly, the nymph, the depth, the depth that you're fishing at, rather than changing that, I just go, I'll just find another piece of water that'll just, (laughs) it's so so bloody lazy. That's it, it's more, you know what yeah, you know? Lazy, or attention to detail. That's it. That's it for me. Like, um, I don't know if it's an army thing or not, but attention to detail is it crucial, like crucial when you're when you're fishing. It's actually it's a really good point. Actually, I think wonder does it come back to that army thing? Yeah, that the best anglers are the ones that have a plan, have the attention to detail, know what they're doing, that's it. why just, they're doing. Yeah, it. really like the the will to succeed, kind of you know. Yeah, yeah. Whereas most of the Joe public, we go out. We have the rod set up from last year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just yeah. talking for a friend now, of course. And uh, of course, we just, yeah. you know, hope to do the same thing and <laughs> hopefully it all comes together. But yeah, you're right. It's And actually, I find as well, it's just, a, you know, even at the start of the season, there's a great time to just kind of approach and say, right, what will I do differently? You know, before you go into your bad habits after a few weeks, <laughs> at oh, least try, it, yeah. try a few weeks of doing something new, like. That's it. You have to be willing for change as well. Try like how I learned was just trying. I always wanted to try something new, you know, or something different. Like for talk's sake, them small mountain streams. Like, do you ever go to one of them streams and you see the trout, you know, swimming up and down the river? I'm like, I can never seem to catch them. But my goal is I want to see if I can, you know, how can I crack this, you know? Mm. And eventually if you, you stand looking at it long enough and, and try to figure out you'll get it. And that's that's what I used to do put myself in sort of situations that force me to learn, kind of, you know. Do you still do the competition scene at all, Eamon? Oh, yeah, flat out. Okay. <laughs> but that, again, but that's a great place to where you have to learn, isn't it? You have to keep that's pushing it. yourself. Yeah, if you don't learn, you're going to be last. Yeah. Yep, <laughs> very true. But, and again, it's a bit like what you've honed in your, in your competition. You know, what you've learned and developed yourself from your competition experience. Yeah. For example, th- those leaders that we're talking about, everybody else can use them now and they can get their enjoyment. It's a bit like we always say, you know, you might enjoy, you know, competition fishing might be for you, but you know, you can enjoy the fruits of it by using these techniques. Absolutely. And catch a couple extra fish for yourself. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Listen, we ask everybody that comes on the show to 
tell us what their most memorable fish on the fly is. I you know, I, I was thinking about this one, and it's not a it's not a big trout, but you'll probably laugh at this. I was um, we do a lot of sea trout and infant in, in the rivers here locally, and um, this was probably I'd say seven or eight years ago now at this stage, and I was fishing at the clubhouse there on the Castletown River and they catch a sea trout, nymphing away, line stops, set the hook, and next you know, geez, I'm into a good fish here. What what could it be? It might be a wee small grills, you wouldn't know. And playing away, playing away, this this is a good fish. And then once I started to tire him out, I could see what it was. And I got this fish onto the bank. It was a rainbow trout with sea lice on him. Oh my God. Wow. I, actually, if you look, if you go back, if you look at my Facebook um, account you'll and go back far enough you'll actually see it I posted it on um, Facebook this was like seven or eight years ago but a sea trout fresh run sea trout with sea lice or sorry not sea trout rainbow trout with yeah. sea lice on him oh wow and fin perfect was fin it? perfect unbelievable yeah. yeah I rang I actually rang the fishery board and asked them to come down and take it away because I'm sure they were would be interested to see yeah where it came from but I, I never heard anything back from him but yeah that was probably the most unique fish I ever caught what size was it he was only about I'd say two and a half three pound maybe oh wow oh he's a decent fish though yeah. decent fish I thought it was a small grilts or something yeah. you know the fight he gave me was phenomenal sort of same stuff maybe like his first ever steel head or something I don't know <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> crazy like like he well, couldn't like that like that's of course what he was technically he was a steelhead. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Isn't that crazy? And there's been none seen, seen since or heard of her. I think I think somebody caught one on the fane a few years prior to that, but that was only sort of hearsay, you know. Well, I have to say that's the first time, isn't it? It is actually for yeah. our memorable yep. fish on the fly. Yep. <laughs> Definitely memorable. Definitely is. I I was recording at the same time, and it was recording and everything, you know. But um, yeah, it was crazy. For people uh, that want to get in touch if they're interested in tonfly fishing in terms of rods, leaders, um, it's tonflyfishing.com, Emma, is that right? Yeah. And uh, you do guiding and courses as well, so if anybody's in. Guiding, tuition, yeah. Rod building, all that kind of stuff. And you have your YouTube channel as well, um, if people right, want to have yeah. a look at the videos. Well, look, Eamon, very best of luck um, with the future of Tom Fly Fishing and in terms of its, its growth and development. Um, it's great to see Irish companies, um, you know, in this space, you know, trying to make their own way on it. So um, very best of luck to it and uh, tight lines for the coming season. Yeah, thank you very much. And, and thanks for having me on your, your podcast. It was great having the crack. Our thanks to Eamon Conway from Tom Fly Fishing for joining us on the show. Don't forget to rate, review and follow the Ireland on the Fly podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Plus you can keep up to date on IrelandOnTheFly.com as well as on Instagram and myself and Tom will be back with another episode about the people and places of fly fishing in Ireland.